I want to invite you to take your Bibles and open them to the New Testament book of Ephesians. Not the Gospel of Luke this morning. You've heard me say before, and I, I still maintain that 99.99% of the time, a preacher should preach what he has studied. But there are few occasions where sometimes that's just not the case, where something happens or the Lord makes something known and last minute you end up changing, which would be what is happening today. Um, I abnormally woke up much earlier this morning than normal and was just instantly wide awake and craving uh, to study my Bible, and so I did that and happened to stumble on, not really stumble on, but come to this passage as I'm studying through Ephesians, and then as I started visiting with people today, I realized this passage is very applicable to so many of our lives where we're at right now. Uh, one of the blessings and benefits of a church our size is getting a very good feel of kind of where people are and what they're going through, and, and where they're at in their walk, and what they um, might need, what you perceive that they might need. And then you have the freedom to really try to follow the Lord's direction in what He, he might be pointing you to do. And that's what we're going to try to do this morning in Ephesians 3. Uh, disregard what I've studied all week, and come to a text of Scripture that I think um, can minister to us uh, in in many ways. Really, a, a preacher's task is to just draw attention to the passage <clears throat> and let the passage do the work. And so that's what my plan is this morning. Uh, draw your attention to this passage in Ephesians 3 and let it do the work. So look with me in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. It's actually the Scripture passage that was read at the beginning of our service. <clears throat> Let's read it together. And then we'll pray and attempt to walk through it. Paul writes in Ephesians 3 verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we open Your Word this morning trusting You. Trusting Your promise that Your, your Word doesn't return void. It doesn't go forth and, and um, fall flat as poorly as it may be communicated or as poorly as it may be presented, you still accomplish your purpose with your Scriptures. And that can be our only prayer this morning, Lord. 
that as I come to this text unprepared, that even as, as some here may come to this text unprepared, you would still use it to minister to us. That we would see the wonderful benefits of the gospel that it portrays to us. That our hearts would be, as we prayed earlier, touched by these words and what they mean concerning you and your care for us. Help us now, Lord, to study this passage. But not just to study it with our our brains, but to be digesting it with our hearts. And help my rambling tongue this morning and my racing mind and, and make Your Word compelling. Let it leap up off this page and grab hold of us. In light of it, let, let all other distractions melt away and use it to build up Your people. This is what we need this morning, Lord, and this is what we ask. This is what we trust you for. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thus far in the book of Ephesians, Paul's been laying out uh, several different variations of explaining the gospel. Not that the message is different, but he's approaching it from different topics. And by this point in chapter 3, he's getting back to more of a personal appeal to these believers. He started that way as he normally does in the first chapter. Chapter 1, verse 15, the other passage we read this morning is also talking about a prayer, kind of his heart's desire for these believers. And then as we come to the middle of chapter 3 in Ephesians, that's what he's picking back up with. Uh, he's really coming and saying, because of the gospel, the fruits of the gospel, this is what I want for you. You notice in verse 14, he starts out by saying, for this reason, uh, because of everything I've just laid out before you in chapter 2 and the first part of chapter 3, this is what I want accomplished in your life. We'll consider just for a moment what he is immediately referring to. If you look back up into chapter 3, verse 7 and verse 8, uh, this is his immediate uh, reasoning for wanting these things. He says in verse 7 of this gospel that I've just laid out to you of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power because I'm a minister of the gospel these are the things that I desire for you verse 8 to me though I am the very least of all the saints this grace was given to number one preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and number two to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. Because I'm a minister and because I'm tasked with these things of preaching the gospel and bringing to light the mystery of, of God, this is what I want for you. These verses that follow, verses 15 through 21. We ask first, before we get there, what is this mystery that Paul is talking about? Look back up into verse 6. This mystery, he says, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through 
the gospel. Let's keep backbuilding so we get a good idea of where Paul's coming from. Look into chapter 2, verse 12, and you find this, uh, these three phrases that are answered in chapter 3, verse 6. In chapter 2, verse 12, he's talking about who we are as Gentiles before Christ. He says, remember that you were at that time, one, separated from Christ, two, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and three, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We fast forward to chapter 3, verse 6, and those three things are answered again. Because of the gospel, we are now fellow heirs with Christ, members of the same body with, with Israel, and now not strangers to the promise, but partakers of the promise. The gospel has transformed us, is what he's saying. And because of that transformation, it has influence over our life. And it, it changes who we, who we are from the core. It changes our days going forward. It changes everything about how we see and view and interact in the world that we live in. The gospel is all-consuming. You can even back up into chapter 2, verse 1, 2, and 3. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were by nature children of wrath. Chapter 2, verse 4, but God intervenes, makes us alive. And that's what he's been laying out in chapter 2, in the first part of chapter 3, this transforming work of the gospel in our lives as Christians. And then he comes down to chapter 3, verse 7, and he says, of that gospel, that soul-saving, life-transforming, heart-transforming gospel, I was made a minister. And my task is to preach it, and to bring that mystery to light that God saves even Gentiles. That God saves any who come to Him. So we back down into verse 14 and he says, for that reason. It's a loaded uh, three, three words, a loaded phrase. For that reason, all that I've explained of the glories of the gospel in Christ, for that reason, I bow my knees before the Father. That's an intimate term for Paul. And in the imagery, the picture that he's trying to get these believers to see is, is intimate. I humble myself before God for you. I get down on my knees in the dirt before the Father and I plead on your behalf. This is entirely Paul's heart for Christians, for the churches that he plants. And this morning I was thinking of... a. Passage in First Thessalonians is one of my favorite passages as Paul describes his ministry. In First Thessalonians chapter two, verse one through six, he's he's laying out that I didn't come to you, Thessalonian believers, with bad motives. I didn't take advantage of you. I didn't um, come to you in impurity or or deceitfulness or anything like that. He says instead, verse seven, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. You notice, notice that language. I, I wanted you to have the gospel. I wanted you to have me. You were very dear to me. It's, it's the same relation that a nursing mother has with her children. 
He goes on in verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians 2. He says, You remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel to you. Your witnesses and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and and glory. There's this other illustration in verse 11. We were like a father to you. A father to his children. You have these beautiful pictures that Paul's painting in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We were like a nursing mother and a father relating to their children. That's how we, we care for you. We were exhorting you like a father, caring for you like a mother. You were tender to us, dear to us. And so when we consider chapter 3 verse 14 of Ephesians, we totally understand Paul's intimacy here. I get down on my knees for you because you're dear to me. Because I love you. Because I feel like a father to you. I feel like a, a nursing mother to you. It's the same attitude he has for the Philippian believers. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Skip down to verse 8. He says, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. All of those things that we understand about Paul and his care for Christian believers, we can come down to get a glimpse of what he's saying in verse 14 of Ephesians 3, for this reason, because I've been given to you as a minister, preaching and the gospel and bringing to light the mystery of God, because of my love for you, I bow my knees before the Father. I point all that out to say we need people like this in our lives, don't we? And we need to be these kinds of people for one another. We need to know that we're a gift to other people and other people are a gift to us. And we need to so affectionately desire one another that we bow our knees before the Father for one another. As I've walked through this week and as I've had the privilege of ministering to, to several of you this week and visiting and thinking through, I've been reminded of how Heavy the burden of life can be sometimes. Whether it be the first holiday since losing a loved one. Or just celebrating a holiday like Thanksgiving and having the constant reminder year after year of a wayward child or a wayward grandchild or, or dysfunction in a family and disunity. Whether it be health or finances or fears. Every one of us can in an instant bring up some weight that lays upon our hearts and our minds. Even this instant, it might be a job, uncertainties. And we need people like Paul bowing their knees before the Father for us. And we need to be doing that for others. 
whatever the weight of life that weighs upon your heart and my heart today and yesterday and this week and the coming weeks, whatever it may be, let us be a people who bow our knees before the Father and pray what Paul prays for these people in Ephesians chapter 3. So he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Verse, verse 15, that's this um, magnitude kind of verse. I want you to understand the, the bigness of God here. The, the creator, the originator of, of every person, every family, every father. Uh, he's, he's where everyone comes from. He's where everything comes from. And then we get into verse 16, and this is his prayer. I bow my knees before the Father, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. We've encountered, or I guess I've encountered, we can encounter in this book of Ephesians, this, this principle or, or phrase of God's rich, riches all, all throughout the book. Paul has this kind of sub-theme going on of the vast wealth of God and not in money or materials but but in his his nature and his character we we read a little bit of it in chapter one if I can find it anyways in chapter one somewhere in verse 15 through 23 he's talking about the riches of the father um, oh it's in verse 18 having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. You come over into chapter 2, verse 4. We've been introduced to God being rich in mercy. You skip down into chapter 2, verse 7. We're introduced to the immeasurable riches of God's grace. You look over into chapter 3, verse 8. We're introduced to the unsearchable riches of Christ. And yet again, chapter 3, verse 16, the riches of His glory. It tells us of the abundance of God. This repeated theme of, of riches rising over and over in the book would, would naturally make the reader look back on all the other times it's being used. God's rich in mercies. He's, he's given us a, a rich and glorious inheritance. He's rich in grace. He's, he's rich in Christ. And, and again here, he's, he's rich in glory. All the abundance of God, Paul is saying, I want to be used for you. I'm praying that he would use all of his riches for you. I also find this phrase, this particular one, this isolated one, the riches of his glory to be Importance because what makes a person glorious? It's his power. It's his wealth, his majesty and his splendor and his, his authority, his, his rule and his reign, all that makes God glorious, I want him to use for you. That's Paul's prayer. And it's a bold prayer, isn't it? I think also of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, that we might with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. To find grace and mercy, he says, to help in our time of need. Paul draws near to the Father in confidence to ask in boldness for all that makes God glorious to be used for these Ephesian believers. 
Oh, and that's my prayer for you, church. And that's God's desire for you. That all the riches that make God wonderful and glorious and magnificent would be used for you so that He may grant you to be strengthened. Notice he's, His prayers that they would be strengthened in their inner being. If we're going to be honest, there's a lot of times in life we're just flat out weak on the inside. Right. We're pretty good actors. We, we put on a good face, a good show. We know how to mind our manners uh, in public. We can keep our act together for a certain period of time. But, but really on the inside, we're broken. We're struggling. We're, we're melting away. And, and we think, I, I'm not standing up on the inside. I don't know how to, how to face the next day. I don't know how to answer this question. I, I'm at a loss. And the best words in those, those times that describe us are chaos, confusion, fear. We all have those experiences. We all go through those experiences. Again, we can, we can bring up our list of examples. Perhaps it's financial insecurity or perhaps it's uh, your work and what may be happening with, at work or with work or, or some decision or, or something that's happened outside of you that's just lobbed itself into your life unexpectedly. Whatever the example may be that makes us weak on the inside, this is a wonderful prayer to be praying. God, I'm broken deep down within. I'm more dependent now than I ever have been. I'm weak. I am like the helpless child we just sang about. Helpless from birth. No ability of, of my own to correct life, to make life better. No ability within myself or goodness within myself to to please you or earn you. It's much like the tax collector in Luke. We're, we're just casting ourselves on your mercy, God. Because in my inner being, in my heart, in my soul, in my spirit, I'm bankrupt. I'm in a drought. I'm all dried up. This is not just a, a new thing. This is what even... Ephesian believers some 2,000 years ago are struggling with. And Paul says, I pray before the Father that all of the riches of His glory may be used to grant you strength in your inner being. That word grant is the same as gift. My prayer is that God would gift you with strength. And strength with strength with with power. He doesn't explain in verse 16 that word power. He doesn't um, give an adjective or, or any kind of connection to it or anything like that. He just presents it to us. He's going to talk about it again later in the passage, but at this point for the reader, it's just here it is kind of a thing. But every other time he uses it in the New Testament and in this book, it hearkens all these images of God's glory in power. And we think about us reading through the Gospels and, and how have we seen the power of God displayed through miracles of healing, 
casting out of, of demons, feeding lots of people, power over the elements of creation. Where do we ultimately see the power of God on display? The resurrection? It's, it's all those images that Paul would be having in mind that would be conjured up in the, the reader's mind in our minds. And he says, I'm praying that God will gift you with strength from His power into your inner being. There's one more phrase to consider in verse 16 before we try to summarize it. He explicitly says, that he's praying that God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. One of the greatest benefits and blessings of the gospel is the never forsaking spirit of God. I don't know what your week's been like. I don't know what your month's been like, your year's been like. I don't know what tomorrow holds for you, but I know there will come a time if you're not in it now where you will need to be strengthened. And here's a glorious truth from this singular verse. You can be strengthened by the power of God through His very personal, intimate, indwelling Spirit. When you're weak and broken, you can be built up from within by God Himself. I think of... 1 Peter chapter 5. One of my favorite verses. Verse 10. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's, that's the attitude of Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. That God Himself might restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. When, you. when you're falling apart, when you're weak, when you're needing encouragement, when you're needing faith, when you're, when you're needing exhortation, when you're needing a nursing mother or an exhorting father, my prayer will be that God would strengthen you with His power through His Spirit in your inner being, that He might restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you and do it all Himself. When I read that phrase through His Spirit, I find liberty that this doesn't have to be me on my own. That I don't have to figure out how to get through life's difficulties. That I don't have to figure out some way to conjure up some sort of strength or some sort of faith or some sort of hope. I run to the Lord who gives it to me freely. I run to the Lord who's given me Himself that I might be strengthened in my inner being. That's, that's Paul's kind of motivation in his prayer, verse 16. But verse 17 is the glorious purpose of it. And there's two words, and I've, I've been trying to point them out to you, and remember words matter, and, and I want you to see these two words together because they indicate the purpose Verse 17 in the ESV, it says, so that, your Bible might say for, or because, or 
something like that. But so that in in kind of includes in our understanding this is the purpose that I'm praying such a prayer for you that you'd be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being so that because I want Christ to dwell in your hearts through faith. Church, that, that one phrase is the glory of the Gospel. That Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith. Because we have in that one phrase more divine truth than what we can expound right now. When we consider all of the glories of Christ, as he's just said in this chapter, uh, verse 8, the unsearchable riches of Christ. All the magnificence and magnitude and, and power and tenderness and, and compassion and, and care and warmth and acceptance and, and justice and all these things that we know to be gloriously true of Jesus. When we consider all of that over against our sinful selves, we see the outstanding reality of verse 17. That someone as magnificent and glorious as Jesus would care to dwell in the sinner is mind-blowing. I understand now why Paul would use words like unsearchable, immeasurable, unfathomable. Because this goes beyond our brains, doesn't it? This is a truth that has to go beyond our brain to understand the significance of it. It has to go into our hearts. It's a glorious gospel benefit that Christ may dwell within us. Consider that he says, through faith. He's visiting with a wonderful couple this week and we were highlighting that faith isn't this abstract concept of power like we're prone to think. It's simple trust. Simple belief that Jesus, you are who you say you are. You're trustworthy. You're going to keep your promise. And that is when Christ dwells in your heart. The, the word dwell there carries the same connotations it does in other parts of the, the New Testament. It conjures up images for the original readers of pitching your tent, making your home, occupying. It's not a temporary word. It's an establishment kind of word. And, and the word heart in verse 17 echoes right back to verse 16 of your inner being. The very core of who you are. I want Christ to dwell there through faith. Talk about being strengthened in your inner being. Talk about the wondrous truths of the Gospel that when I'm broken and when I'm down and when I don't have it all together and when confusion is the word of my, my life, and chaos is the word of the day, I might remember Christ dwells in my heart through faith. I might be strengthened to remember that through the Spirit, the glorious, unsearchable riches of Christ have been applied to me, and they are unmovable and irreversible. We go on through verse 17. 
purpose of my prayer, Paul says, is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, and another purpose, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. And we'll get to verse 18 in a second. I do want to highlight this phrase, being rooted and grounded in love, because it, it um, makes us think of two things. One, it makes us consider it in terms of aspirations. We want to be people in love. People of love, people grounded in love, people consumed by love, people who show love. But that's not exactly what he's saying in, in this passage. He uses a present tense word, being, for two past tense words, rooted and grounded. At least that's what my English teacher taught me. Which tells me that being rooted and grounded in love is something outside of you that's already taken place that you currently exist in, which enables you to be strengthened to comprehend. If you're a child of God, and Christ dwells in your heart through faith, you are rooted and grounded in love. You're not in red Oklahoma clay dirt. You're not in sand that doesn't hold its moisture. You're not planted somewhere where you're going to dry up. You're rooted Grounded, established in the love of Christ. These are this prayer for these Ephesian believers are are things for us to remember because they're true of us in our salvation because of the gospel. Remember that when you're weak and every every wind of doctrine seems to be pushing you around and every circumstance and situation seems to tear down your defenses, remember. But in Christ, you're rooted and grounded in love. Which means you have as your foundation God's love nourishing you, stabilizing you, holding you firm. And all the other plant analogies we might try to employ. So I, I, want, I want Christ to dwell in your hearts through faith and and. Currently being rooted and grounded in love, I want you to have strength, verse 18, to one, comprehend with all the saints. There's, there's pictures of the church being there together. All the saints. I want you to comprehend. And that word comprehend is talking about the mind, the brain. I want you to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Fast forward to verse 19. Of the love of God. Of the love of Christ. I want you to let your mind meditate and consider the magnitude of the love of Christ. And then we, we back build through this passage that you're grounded and rooted in, that dwells in your heart, that strengthens your inner being. Let your brain consider the magnitude of that. Though breadth and length and height and depth. And FYI, you won't be able to understand it perfectly. And that's the glory of it. That our finite mind cannot grasp in its entirety the infinite love of Christ towards us. Are you weak? Are you broken today? Consider the love of Christ. Then verse 19, there's this joining word and. And... Um, if I had a pen in your Bible, I would drive it back to the beginning phrase of verse 18. There, there's one, to comprehend, and then in verse 19, there's also to know. 
So, so I want you to, one, to comprehend. I want you to, verse 19, to know something. And this word know does not uh, connect to our brains and our minds. It's, it's not an intellectual word, in my opinion. Because look at what he says in verse 19. I want you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? How do you know something beyond knowing? And that's what he's saying. I want you to know what can't be known. I want you to know what can't be contained. I want you to know what can't be comprehended. And in my finite mind, I take it to to be this. I want you to comprehend the love of Christ in all of its magnitude. And then I want you to know in the depths of your heart where you can't know anything else but this wonderful spiritual truth of Christ's love. I want you to know what your mind can't contain. And I want you to know it by experience. And I want you to know it by faith. And I want you to know it by the confirming assurance of the Spirit of God. I want you to consider with your mind, but I want you to know what you can't understand. Again, that is the love of Christ. That does most certainly, and praise God, surpass all knowledge. Which tells me you and I could spend our lifetime contemplating the love of Christ and never be bored. And never run out of understanding or, or, of, or of fresh understandings. Again, verse 19. I take to be a third purpose of this prayer. In verse 16. The first purpose being that Christ would dwell in your hearts. The second purpose being that you might comprehend and know His love. And the third purpose being in verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, which automatically runs us right back to verse 17, right? Christ dwelling in us. And we're wrapped up nice and neatly by the fullness of God filling us up. That doesn't mean that you get all the uh, power of God. You're not omniscient, omnipresent, or omnipotent or anything like that. It's all the fullness of the glory and goodness of God filling you up. Church, when there's a drought in your life and difficulty in your life, this is not only a good prayer to pray, these are good good truths to remember. God through the Gospel desires to fill you up with His fullness. And, And it all, in my opinion, is centering around The love of Christ. That through the love of Christ you may know the fullness of God. That through the love of Christ you might be strengthened in your inner being. You might know the glory of Him dwelling within you. Much more can be said, but I I do want to finish in verse 20 and 21. Paul knows the significance of what he's writing. And so, Uh, periodically through his letters, we find him doing this, kind of coming to the end of a statement and just bursting out in praise because of what he's written or what he has to say. And He knows the significance of what he's praying for these people, of of them being strengthened through the Spirit, uh, by God's power of Christ dwelling in them, of them contemplating and knowing the love of Christ and being filled with the fullness of God. 
And so he says in verse 21, basically, to him be glory. But first he says in verse 20, now to him, and it's a very important phrase, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, to him be glory. Now, I want to consider that phrase for a moment because as we consider the bigness of God and all these personal words that um, He applies to us, it helps us to see the wonder of the fact that He might dwell within us, that we might know His love, that we might be filled with the fullness of Him. We see the magnitude of God in verse 20 when we consider this phrase, able to do far more abundantly, and it's, juxtaposed to these last two words. Ask or think. And I'm following the structure of my Bible, ESV. But we can consider them, nonetheless, all that we ask, we can ask for a lot of things, right? In fact, we have in life. We have asked for more and forgotten more of the things we've asked than what we'll ever remember. We are good at asking God for things. But... Paul takes it further than that. More than what we ask and more than what we think. Our minds and our conscience are vast and enormous. And we think about the love of Christ and we, we think about the, the large expanse of the universe and all that entails in creation and all of these lofty thoughts and all of the ability and power of God and what He might be able to do and is able to do and has done, our minds can go for ages in consideration to the ability of God. And Paul's saying here, all that you've ever asked and all that you're ever able to think and contemplate of God, He's able to do far more abundantly. It's this realization again that you can't contain Him in your thought. You can't contain Him in your heart. You can't contain Him in, in your understanding. And all of that magnitude wants to relate to you. And not just relate to you, but indwell you. And lavish you in grace and in love. And ground you in, in love and, and care. The last phrase of verse 20, to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. How is he able to do far more abundantly all, than all that we ask or think? It's, it's by his power, and this is the second time it's brought up in this, this passage. And it gives us a clue back into verse 16 of the kind of power that's going to bring strength to our inner being. It's this power that's able to do far more abundantly than anything that can be fathomed or imagined or contained. But notice what Paul says in verse 20 about this power. It's the power that's at work within us. Christian, take heart of Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Take heart that when life seems difficult, the very power of God resurrecting power of God is at work within you. When your inner being is weak, when life is falling apart, and when you have no answers, still, 
the power of God is working in you. That Christ may dwell in your hearts. That you may contemplate and know the love of Christ. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. It is no wonder Paul ends with verse 21, to Him be glory forever and ever. This is by no means a polished presentation of the text. It's by no means as studied as I would prefer it to be. It's not packaged as neatly as I strive to package things. But the truths in it are far more powerful than any presentation that any preacher could ever give. The truths in it are life-changing. The truths in it are the benefits of this transforming gospel that he's been proclaiming in the first half of this book. They're the benefits of such a gospel. Because we must say at this point, none of these things are possible for your life if you're not first born again in Christ. You will not be filled with the fullness of God if you do not first belong to God. You will not know the love of Christ in your heart if you're not first regenerated by Christ. You will not have Christ dwelling in your heart through faith if you first do not come to Christ through faith. You will not be strengthened in your inner being by the power of God and the Spirit of God if you do not first belong to God. But if you do belong to God, these things aren't just flowery, warm thoughts. They're present realities. That God desires to strengthen your inner being. That God has given you Himself, His Spirit, to apply His resurrecting power to your life. That Christ does long to dwell in your heart. Though sinful, you still are. He longs to dwell in your heart through faith. That being rooted and grounded in love, you might comprehend in your mind the love of Christ and know for sure in your heart the love of Christ. And that you might be filled with the fullness of God. Those are all present realities for the believer. And sometimes we just simply need to be reminded of them. Whatever burden life may throw our way, this passage is one we can stand on. And say, God, verse 20, I know in some way your power is at work within me. You're doing something good here. Bringing me to completion. Sanctifying my life. God, I know that though I'm weak, I can rely on your fullness. I can stand and be established in your love no matter what comes my way. And I can rejoice that you dwell within my heart through faith. All of these things help us face this life with joy, confidence, hope, and assurance. And I, I hope that's been the application for you as we considered it this morning. That no matter what you endure, no matter what I endure, these present realities can keep us standing and walking and clinging to Christ. Lord, I thank You for a text like this and I thank You that Your Word does the work. 
that imperfect communicators, clumsy preachers, unstudied preachers, are still facing the same task of making your word known and nothing more. thankful again, God, that this word of yours does the work. It does the heavy lifting. It goes forth. You take it forth with your, your spirit and you apply it to our hearts in ways that even the most polished of sermons could never do. We thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for your spirit's leading this morning. That as nervous as I have been, and as fearful as I have been in stepping outside of my comfort zone, you nonetheless orchestrate and ordain what happens in your church. And I have no doubt there are some here, Lord, who needed a passage like this. I needed a passage like this this morning. And for whatever reason and whatever purpose you may possess, you had it laid upon our hearts today. And we trust You with that. I'm thankful, Lord, that You are living and active just like Your Word. That You are, again, orchestrating all things to meet our needs. And we prayed this morning that You would touch our hearts. And I believe this passage can do that. So we trust it into Your hands, Lord. We trust our lives into your hands and ask that your will and your way be done. For your name's sake, for your glory, for our good, Lord, we need you to strengthen us, to dwell within us. We need to know your love in our hearts and be filled with your fullness that we might be able to faithfully endure this life. So accomplish your work in Jesus' name. Amen.